Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer. Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of interviews with spiritually awakening people. Uh, probably most of you watching this have watched other ones, but if any of you haven't, if you go to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P, you'll see about 355 of them at this point archived under the past interviews menu, archived in about four or five different ways. This program is made freely available to anyone who wants to watch it, and it's made possible by those who feel like supporting it to some degree financially. So there's a donate button on the right-hand side of the page. Um, if you feel inspired to help support it, click that. My guest today is Adam Chaxfield. I'll just read his official little bio here, and uh, especially for the benefit of those who might be listening to the audio podcast and uh, won't have read the bio on the website. Adam is a um, non-dual spiritual teacher whose retreats and private sessions are known for their transformative power and love-saturated depth. He devotedly serves the alive field of awareness as it unfolds, reveals, and liberates, rather than any fixed philosophy. Adam first turned towards spirituality and meditation after a series of profound psychedelic-assisted openings led him to experience the truth that lies beyond all philosophies. At age 33, he left his career as a university professor of political theory to devote his life to spiritual unfolding. For a few years, Adam struggled to try to piece together all the apparently contradictory teachings and practices. These efforts decisively fell away when he came across the non-dual teaching of Peter Fenner and realized the openness that can never be captured in words and requires no practice. Adam started inviting his friends to do non-dual inquiry with him and was amazed by the ease with which the direct experience of openness could be shared. In 2010, with Peter Fenner's encouragement and support, Adam started to publicly share with groups and individuals. Since then, his teaching has been profoundly influenced by the opportunity to soak in Jeannie Zandi's heart-centered and full-bodied transmission. Adam now shares the direct experience of the heart and mind falling open. In this effortless opening, the suffering involved in resisting feelings and believing thoughts spontaneously releases. The natural abundance of joy, peace, wisdom, and love becomes apparent and available. Heart-centered, gentle, and direct, Adam offers a, a path straight into the truth of who we are. In addition to leading retreats in North America and Europe, Adam meets with individuals and is the creator of Falling Open, a four-month online course. He is also the founder of the Center for Non-Dual Awareness, a supportive community for those called to share non-duality. So, welcome, Adam. Thanks for doing this. Good to meet you. Mm, lovely to be here, Rick. Yeah. Mm. You're from Britain originally, and but then you've been in the States for quite a while. You were, you were teaching political philosophy in Macomb, Illinois, of all places? Yeah, yeah, yeah West Illinois University. I guess you wanted to be near the birthplace of Ronald Reagan, right? That's why you established yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought he was Californian, but... <laughs> well, he was born up a couple hours north of where you were teaching. And um, actually, you, you were not too far from where I lived. Did you ever come through Fairfield? Say you went to Des Moines, you must have driven right through Fairfield on your way to Des Moines. Yeah, yeah, I've uh, visited the coffee shop in Fairfield a few times. And, okay, yeah. Cafe Paradiso. <clears throat> or Revelations, mm. it might have been Revelations. Revelations, that's yeah. right, yeah. There's two of them competing. Okay, and now you live in the Bay Area, right? Yeah, yeah, just north of Berkeley. Okay, good. 
So I don't know as much about you as I often know about people I interview because you haven't written a book and you don't have too many videos. So we'll just kind of wing this and I'm sure we'll get into all kinds of interesting stuff. But you come highly recommended. Pamela Wilson likes you, so you can't be all bad. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for her. Let's let's do the old chronological bit for a few minutes, and before we get into the sort of the substance of what you teach. So, you were teaching political philosophy. That mm -hmm. how did you end up in that? Yeah, I was uh, just sort of became fascinated by politics and philosophy and ideas. Uh, as a teenager and uh, you know would debate with people love to argue love to sort of figure, figure stuff out and uh, yeah so I ended up going to grad school in uh, political science and uh, you know, studying political theory public policy and uh, you know I was really passionate about figuring out what the truth was you know like I really wanted to like yeah work it all out and um, are yeah, you still so interested that's, in that's, politics not so much. No, it's it's really dropped away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, I've paid a little attention this year, but, but it's, it's not like it used to be at all. You still like to debate people, but you know, maybe on spiritual topics or instead of uh, politics, or has that tendency fallen off too? Yeah, that's really got really fallen away. Yeah, I can I can be in the midst of a political argument, like people are arguing around me, and I'm really just like, yeah, just not not interested in getting involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. I I'd say that that probably has something to do with this openness word, which we'll be talking about more. It's, it's hard to sort of be vehement about a fixed position if you're in, in openness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's sort of the way that any fixed position is like uh, missing part of the whole. It's like it's sort of advancing a, a, a particular posture and uh, highlighting something, but it misses the rest. So yeah. it's, uh, it's hard to invest in those now. Yep. I'm sure everybody's heard the blind man and the elephant metaphor, you know. Mm. Blind men arguing over what an elephant is like, and one's feeling the trunk, and one's feeling the leg, and one's feeling the side. They all have completely different impressions of it, but obviously none of them has the whole elephant. Yeah, and it got to the, it got to the point in my sort of academic career where it was like, wow, you know, like I'm, uh, I'm like really sincere and smart, and there's all these like super sincere and smart people, and we're all arguing. We all think we're right. We've all got our lovely sophisticated theories and our arguments against everybody else's sophisticated theories. And it's like, you know, what's going on here? We can't, you know, why do I believe that I'm right and these other people are wrong? Or, yeah. yeah it's like, and everyone's missing something. Every philosophy is inadequate. You know what I find interesting is that you can have a political preference or a preference for any, any number of things, and yet at the same time not be fanatical about it and realize that you know, it's natural for different people to have different preferences, and so you kind of grant others the liberty to have their own preferences, even though they differ from yours. Except for Trump. Yeah, <laughs> Irene just said, except for Trump. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's a, a way in, like, sort of now, it's, we can sort of feel, like, where people are coming from, like, the sort of, the, the way that, like, the heart is obscured, you know, like, the way that, you know, that people cling to a position to protect themselves or to like sort of uh, try to convince themselves that they know what the right answer is or what the truth is. And we can sort of, we can sort of feel like how that's unfolding through people. Yeah. You know, I've often thought of this in terms of the, the little 
petty wars that people get into on the internet where they start bickering over you know this or that position and i don't know it's it's kind of like in a way people are trying to sort of fortify their egos you know or buttress mm-hmm. buttress their sort of there's, there's an insecurity that they're reacting against and trying to protect against by being so vehement about a particular position you know what i mean yeah, I mean, it's, it's like really vulnerable to just sort of admit we don't know. Yeah. Like to just be, to be sort of like innocently present to what's here and not, not be uh, claiming that we, we know what's going on. Mm. Yeah, that we have the, uh, that, we, that we sort of can hold the answer in, in the mind. Like, you know, we can be the one that knows. It's like to really admit that that's not the case, that we can never grasp the truth with the mind. Yeah. There's a real was, uh, vulnerability in that, like I don't know. Yeah. There is. I was exchanging emails yesterday with a fellow named Lauren Huff that I've taken a retreat with, um, who's a very interesting spiritual teacher. He doesn't, well, hasn't wanted to be interviewed so far because he's got enough attention as it is. I, I just gave him more. He, he was saying, you know, I, I kind of realized at a certain point that I was wrong about everything. And I said, what do you mean you're wrong about everything? He said, well, it's just that... I had all this knowledge, but when I actually had the, exper- the full experience of to that to which that knowledge pertained, I realized that my concepts, and I'm saying this a little differently than he said it, that my concepts just bore no resemblance to the realities that they were meant to represent. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally, yeah. I mean, it's so surprising when we open to what's here. I mean, I'm constantly surprised. It's, it's like when I when I sit and just sort of allow myself to fall open. It's like, wow, what's going on? You know, like what what's actually here? And it's yeah, it's like bears no resemblance to anything we say about it. Any of the mental models we we hold. It's like we can sort of like we're, it's almost like we're doing poetry. It's sort of the, the most uh, we're sort of invoking or pointing to, but but like what's actually here is like it's just so subtle, so rich, so different from any way of symbolizing what's here. Yeah, that's beautiful. Incidentally, I just want to interject for those who are watching the live stream, there's a question form at the bottom of the page, the upcoming interviews page, which is under the upcoming interviews menu on, on BatCap, or maybe it's, under, maybe it's called future interviews. So if you want to post a question to Adam uh, while we're doing this interview, you can find the form there. Just scroll down to the bottom of the page. All right, well, this is going well so far. We're just <laughs> meandering here. Falling open. I want to get into that more. Um, so mm. you, you mentioned that you had a um, very profound psychedelic experience, or several of them. The truth that lies beyond all philosophies. Are those worth mentioning in any detail? I mean, a lot of people have had those sorts of things, but what was it like for you? Yeah, I mean, the, the first uh, psychedelic experience I had was very much sort of the revelation that you were talking about uh, Warren Huff pointing to, which is this, uh, it's Lauren, like, wow, I've spent... L-O-R-N-E is his name. Oh, sorry, Lauren yeah. Huff, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, just this, uh, wow, you know, I spent all this time investing in, like, my philosophies, my, my precious beliefs and ideas, and, like, you know, I'm so sophisticated, and, like, I was thinking, wow, I can't affirm a single one. I can't find any starting point for knowing anything. Yeah. It's like, it's just so many, like, what is this? And there's like no starting point, no reference point. It's like we have to make up a reference point. Mm. So it's just like really, uh, there's so much here besides 
the thoughts, the beliefs that I'm like, you know, I was constantly attending to, just living inside a story, living inside my beliefs. And it's like the sort of the 99.9% of reality that's not a symbol was being completely missed. It's yeah. like, wow, it's like, there's so much here, it's so alive. When you came off the psychedelics, did you find that your, your reference point and your certainties were kind of reassembling, or were you never able to quite, was it like Humpty Dumpty, you could never quite put them back together again? Yeah, it was, um, it was like fascinating. Like, uh, it was, I was like, like, wow, something really big and profound and important happened there. It was like the, sort of the visceral experience of sort of deconstructionism. Like just, yeah, the end of philosophy, like the, uh, the meeting of reality that's, that's not symbolized. But uh, I found that my, yeah, my mind would want to sort of come up with a story, like an explanation of what that is. And then, uh, you know, the next time I would take a psychedelic, it would just be like, wow, this is not at all what I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite similar to, like, the experience meditating as well. When I first started meditating, I would be trying to figure out what meditation was, and I would, like, have some explanation of what meditation was. And then, you know, when, when I'd open to what was true, it's like, wow, it's nothing like I think it is. I mean, mm -hmm. this is it's totally different. So it was just like to do that again and again and again in meditation, just uh, just undercutting any any sort of storyline for what reality is or what I am or what meditation is. Yeah. Do you find now, you know, having been on the spiritual path for quite a while, that you've been able to s sort of settle into a clearer understanding of what reality is, that coincides with your experience or instead have you just kind of gotten comfortable with the mystery and with with sort of living in a, a condition of not knowing and not needing to know yeah you said it, said it perfectly the, the second one yeah second one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's uh and it's like i'm constantly surprised like the sort of a way in which I sort of like imagine that I'm things will be how I imagine them to be. Mm. And then it's like, it's just constantly surprising. Reality is so surprising. Mm. Yeah. So mysterious how everything unfolds. Yeah. And when you say reality, I know words are always going to be inadequate, but presumably you're talking about experiences that you're having experiential unfoldings what sort of unfoldings have the are, are these and are, I presume they're continuing I guess uh, is it possible to do justice to them at all with the words or at least give a flavor or a taste um, an aroma of what it is you're undergoing yeah um, it's sort of like the the way that we can um, let awareness like when we let awareness into our experience, we just sort of like, oh, like, like it's almost like a, a kind of prayer, like sort of like, let me know the truth or something. Like, let me, let me feel what's here. Let me, let this be revealed. Mm. Like this sort of intention of opening. Mm -hmm. And Would the word surrender um, do it for you? Sure, yeah. Surrender is definitely a big component of that. Yeah, it's like, just like dropping any need to, to be right or good or 
to know what's here, like intellectually just sort of dropping like our opinions, our positions and just like letting ourselves feel what's here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just, um, and the, as awareness touches, it opens, it's like it, it just, it, like the mind has sort of impressions of what's there and thinks it knows what's there and it's like as awareness touches it, it just, it feels like it just sort of opens up, like everything just keeps opening. And keeps opening and keeps opening and keeps opening. In, in other words, sort of like some some people use the, the phrase uh, "free fall forever." Yeah, yeah. It's it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's like um, it's awesome. I mean, it's like I'm I'm awed by it. I'm so grateful, you know, to like for the revelations that mm. that are revealed. And it's and it's like simple stuff. It's just like a. You know, if we go into a feeling in the body, like a feeling in the heart or a feeling in the leg or feet or whatever, it's like how you know, we sort of imagine, oh, I know what's there, it's like tightness or, and it's like, and as awareness starts touching it, if we just sort of drop our, our agenda towards it, if we just let it be as it is, it's like it, it we just know it so much more intimately. Mm. It's like there's uh You know, there's another sense in which I, which I think relates to what you're saying about you know not really appreciating or knowing what this is that we're living in and you know interacting with. It's like I saw this YouTube video the other day about the size of the universe, and they were saying that there are more stars in the known universe than there are grains of sand on all the beaches in the world, and then there are more atoms in a single grain of sand than there are stars in the, in the known universe. And if you think about that, single grain of sand, all those atoms, trillions and trillions of them, each one of those atoms is like functioning perfectly as atoms should function on all of its subatomic particles and its relationship with all the other atoms in that grain of sand and, and so on. There's it's like this you know, perfectly orderly thing that that is existing in complete accordance with laws of nature that we only partially understand. And then there are these trillions of grains of sand and trillions of planets and stars. I mean, just, I often, I often use this as a sort of a contemplative device to just contemplate the wonder of creation and the fact that, you know, what we're actually witnessing, usually unwittingly, is a display of intelligence so vast that we we can't possibly fathom or comprehend it. It's just mind-boggling. Do you ever play yeah. with those sort of ideas? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of um, like a, when we open, like as wide as vast as we can. It's like where's the edge? Yeah, you know, like can't where's the edge it. of what we are or what we're in touch with? I mean, we can't find an edge. And like, and just as when we go in and we sort of say like, okay, what's that? What's the, like the, 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 uh, the point of tightness there? Like, what is that? And it's like, and it just, it just opens up. It's like, it's, there's a whole universe, you know, in, in like apparently nondescript feelings in the body. Mm. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, I totally get what you're talking about. And it's the, like the direct experience of that, you know, how we can just, uh, whether we open to the, the vastness or if we go deep into something. Mm-hmm. It's just it keeps opening in either direction. Yeah, there's a, there's a Sanskrit saying which is anor mahato mahiyan, which is um, 
smaller than the smallest, greater than the greatest. Mm. It's like in either direction you go, you know, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of people, when they hear this thing of openness and, you know, just letting down your guard and relaxing into the vastness and those kinds of phrases, they, they probably feel enticed by that. They think, well, that sounds great. But then they feel that there's kind of a grip, you know. It's like they feel like there's um, some bondage or some, some constraints that prevents them from fully opening, even if they want to. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you address that concern? Yeah, and it's just to like make so much space for that experience, to, like to, to meet that experience um, like without any agenda, with so much gentleness. So it's like often, often we, um, we meet like experiences, we feel things, and we're just like, that shouldn't be here. It's like, that just should not, like I can see my heart's closed, that's not the way it's supposed to be, I'm not involved, what's wrong? And it's like we just, so when, when we're looking at what's here, when we're exploring what's here, it's like we're sort of uh, subtly trying to do violence to our experience, we're trying to change it. Mm. And there's, um, you know, sometimes I'll hear people say like, I'm trying to be with it or something, or I'm trying to accept it. And it's like, and you can just sort of hear how it's like, it, I know it shouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it, it's like, like they're to rejecting really, what is. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, to, and it's, um, like I've, it's not just a, a belief that this shouldn't be here. It's like it's so deeply entrenched in the body. It's like this this sort of like rejection of our experience. Like this, like I know there's something bad in here. There's something wrong in here. There's something wrong with me. So it's like when we when we meet that place, it's like just just softening, like as, uh, being as gentle as we can. It's like just letting awareness touch it, just just as it is, without any violence, without any movement to change it. So let's keep digging into this. So to take a more extreme example, let's say someone has been abused or traumatized in some way or has PTSD from being a, a soldier or something like that. So this, you know, that means that there's a lot of stored impressions or pent up stress or, or pain or hurt. And, um, you know, and, and a lot of times people with those kinds of problems try to escape it or blot it out with drugs or alcohol and, or they act it out through violent behavior and so on. So, um, you know, again, that, that's an extreme example, but everybody has some degree of this. You know, how do you defuse that? You're talking about gentleness and acceptance, but practically speaking, a person listening to this, somewhere on that scale of severe PTSD to just normal human hang-ups, how do they begin to, on a daily basis, unwind and release and free themselves from that kind of load. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can be very helpful, like, especially if we have, like, really severe trauma to have people hold space for us. Like to what sit with somebody who's, able, somebody who's able to maintain that uh, sort of representation of awareness, like they're resting in awareness, mm -hmm. loving awareness. And then the connection that we have with the person that's holding space with us sort of can act as an anchor and, and can return us to the sort of benign nature of awareness as we go into difficult places. Mm -hmm. 
So just, um, so just that, to make sure that's clear, so, you're, so someone like yourself or you know, Pamela Wilson or many of the hundreds of spiritual teachers out there, to sit with somebody like that and have them kind of provide a, a ground of being in which you feel comfortable to relax more, something like that. Yeah. I mean, like, when we're, when we're exploring, it's like we're letting awareness meet what's here like that's ultimately what's happening it's like we're just allowing like loving awareness the field that is mm -hmm. to go to touch these places that we've sort of learned to stay out of that we felt we can't meet we can't feel so we're like a letting letting those uh those places and as that we've been buried that we've contracted around and contorted around letting them be here letting them be felt so when we do this, it's very easy. We can notice sort of shame come in. We can notice uh, like the the sort of agenda of violence to get rid of what's here, to push it away, for to change it. Like it's easy for us to lose that sort of groundedness in the field, to lose contact with awareness itself. So that's the role. So a space holder can help us uh, connect with that space. We, ultimately nothing's necessary so like i mean the space the awareness is doing it all um so i'm just saying in some extreme cases like people have very deep trauma i mean space holding can be helpful regardless but but uh for some people it may not be possible to go there themselves they may need uh support yeah and they may just need the opportunity i mean there might their life might be a rat race otherwise and they need to just get away and sit in a quiet place with somebody and settle yeah. in so are you are you kind of suggesting that when they begin to do that they might begin it might initially increase the discomfort because they're beginning to encounter something that was repressed and that they might without the reassurance and presence of a space holder as you put it recoil from that increased discomfort and just kind of chicken out and get back to distracting themselves somehow yeah yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, when, when we open, it's like we're, um, we're going to meet those places. Just as you said, like, what about the people who say they'll feel the grip or they'll feel it closed down? It's like we're sort of inviting, a, we're inviting awareness to meet those places, like those places that we have turned away from, that we said, we, like, this part of reality just shouldn't be here. This part of my experience shouldn't be here. And it's like there can be habits of just turning away from that. Like, I'm just going to keep my life small and keep my experiences as minimal as possible because I don't want to run into, you know, keep myself numb so I don't, I don't have to feel the stuff that I'm feeling. So when we, when we sit, like, with this intention of opening to what's here, it's very normal for difficult things to come up. You know, if we haven't had terrible things happen to us, just the normal developmental experiences that we have as human beings typically will have very uncomfortable uh, feelings come up. Mm. It's like these places that want to be met. It's like, can I be here? Can I be here? You know, <laughs> these places that were damned, that were cursed, that were told to, to go away. And so you probably meet with people maybe once a week or once a month or something like that. Do you get them on a routine where they can learn to do this on their own when they're not meeting with you and continue to sort of dissolve and neutralize this stuff? Yeah, I, f I find that 
it's kind of like an uh, an orientation in the world like so so like once we experience like wow actually like we can meet this stuff like we sort of experience the sort of miracle of like what awareness does when it touches these difficult places when we're able to just just be there and sort of witness the feelings without trying to shut them down or get away from them it's like once we start realizing what's possible how we can open we can be here as we are people find this happens in their lives like it's just it just opens more and more space in their lives and there can be all kinds of practices that support that in fact pretty much every spiritual practice is is supportive of that and for spiritual practice, I think it's, it's really important for people to be attuned to what's nourishing them. So rather than sort of like, this is the true spiritual practice and everybody must do this, it's like to really notice like what, what allows them to open, what feels right. Because there's sort of a signature of that opening of, of, uh, of the turn to the truth. Yeah, so you've, you kind of find what works for you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, some people love going to kirtan singing, and they, they feel a great deal of openness and, and singing and dancing, and that's a big release for them. And other people like to sit and just meditate quietly, and we could go on and list a whole bunch of things. And some people like to do a whole potpourri of those, you know, just kind of a, a toolkit full of different things. Yeah, and I, th I think it's really good to appreciate like how there's, there's no true practice. It's all like, that's one of the sort of non-dual sayings, right? There's no practice needed. And it's like, so, so given that, like, there's no true practice, so we're not looking for the true practice. It's like to really be engaged with like, what's the react, like, so even when we say like, oh, I'm going to meditate. It's like, well, when we sit, what happens? It's like different every time. It's a unique unfolding. So it's like being alive to what's really happening, what's really going on in our practice, being there for it. There's no like mechanical solution that will get us there. Like if I run this particular practice or if I say these magic words and then that will that will get me there. It's like it's it's the the quality of the presence we bring to our practice, the aliveness. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And you alluded to something like this earlier. Basically, if if a person has a spiritual practice, let's say they sit and meditate and sometimes they have really nice experiences. Now, if those nice experiences cause them to begin to try for those experiences again, rather than just being innocent with what's happening this you know, other time, the next time, mm. then there's a kind of a habit of manipulation can grow. And one can get more and more caught up in that and get very frustrated. And you know, it's quite the opposite of this sort of falling into openness thing that you advocate. Yeah. Yeah, it's like what's really here. It's like so. This is another another part of it. It's like there's no true practice. There's no true experience. It's like there's no right experience that we should be having. It's like the right experience is the one that's going on right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So it's like yeah. So like really opening to what's what's true. What's what's really here. Yeah, I think an underlying principle of this also is that um, if our practice is really natural we're not doing it you know it's not like our effort that's making something happen it's more like a a cooperation with nature and you know nature knows best sort of how to how to handle it and if, if we just get out of the way and, and let nature handle it then you know different things will happen at different times but it'll be sort of optimally effective yeah that's beautiful yeah
it's like the sense of, sort of effortless, the effortlessness of opening. It's like we're not forcing anything to open. Yeah, yeah. It's like we just we just let awareness do what it does. It's like let it let it touch us, let it move us, let it open things. It's like and just with and it's not on a timetable, so people can again sort of be like, it's not moving, it's not moving, and it's like and it's just like, it's like we just get to sit in whatever the truth is for as long as it wants to be here. Yeah, it's like just completely surrender. There's no, there's nowhere to get to anyway. Let <laughs> I me mean, take the example of a rose. You know, we're watching it. It's not blooming. It's not blooming. Maybe if I pull this little part off here and <laughs> kind of pull that open, nope, we killed it. <laughs> so you have to just sort of let it bloom in its own time. Maybe you can provide some nourishment or some fertilizer that'll facilitate the process, but it's not going to bloom any faster by your kind of manipulating it from the outside. Or you could use other examples of a, a chick hatching or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and it—it's like um, again, to, we we can become really attuned to that as well. Like, like one of the questions we can ask when we're doing a practice is like, "Where's the effort? Am I trying to do something?" Mm. And it's just to allow that to relax. Again, like not even doing violence to that, like because we can sort of, "Oh, I've got to try not to try," you know. We just notice, like, "Oh, I'm really struggling." I used to be a TM teacher, and, and one of the principles of it was that there, there's a, the mind has a natural tendency to seek a field of greater happiness. And if we just allow that tendency to have its way, then, the, then we'll naturally sort of settle down and, and you know, awareness will expand and so on. But any inception of individual effort or control or manipulation will only interfere with that. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's really... Uh... It's sort of, yeah, like we're trying to control something. We're being invited to open to the mystery, to like open to the great unfolding that's yeah. happening. And it's, and it's like, we're, I mean, there's such a vulnerability in that. You know, we have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> and it's like, and, you know, it's so easy for us to want to like, but I just need it to be this way or I just need it to be that way. Yeah. And then we try to bring effort, we try to control, we try to manipulate. And it's just, just like a whole, like this, this sort of cycle of suffering starts. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, we just, we just get to, we just get what we're given. You know, we get the experiences that we're given. It's like the universe is just providing us with all these different experiences, the whole experience of life. And we get to be here for it. That's that's uh, we get to open to it. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it bears repeating from various angles. And I don't think you're advocating passivity or lackadaisicalness or anything like that. It's you know one can be quite ardent in one's desire for deeper truth and so on, but it, that ardency has to be kind of counterbalanced with an, an innocence or an effortlessness. I, I think that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, there's, there's sort of a paradox in there. It's yeah, like there's, yeah. there's sort of like there's nothing we need to do. You know, it's like, it's, I mean, that can be a really good reminder. It's like when we're sort of like involved in trying to get somewhere or trying to achieve something. It's like, yeah, there's nothing we need to do. We don't need to be anything. We don't need to become anything. <laughs> and it's like just sort of like, ah, you know, we get to be here as we are. And then at the same time, when we when we arrive here, when we when we're at ease with just as we are, just just being here, it's like there's the sort of the call of the heart in a way, like our devotion to like what we love. It's like the heart wants to be here, wants to express, it wants to love. Mm. You were talking a few minutes ago about bringing awareness to 
this and that that might be noticed in the body or whatever feelings and things. Let's see what you have to say about this, but it seems like people have different capacities of awareness to bring. Some people might be like a little cup, and others are like a a big bucket, and others like a lake, you know, and others like an ocean. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if you had some mud to dissolve, you're going to get different results whether you try to dissolve it in the little cup or in the bucket or in the lake or in the ocean. Uh, in terms of how polluted the water seems to get when you dump the mud in there, and I don't know whether this analogy is breaking down, but it's like some people may not feel they have the capacity to deal with the volume of mud that they uh, seem to be encountering or are afraid they're going to encounter and so on. Mm-hmm. And so somehow there has to be this balance between encountering that stuff and increasing one's capacity. And I imagine the more we encounter and, and resolve, the more the capacity expands and therefore the more we can encounter and dissolve. But would you like to comment on that? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, that... Uh so pointing to capacity and the fear that we don't have the capacity. I mean, that's sort of like the, um, in a way, that's sort of the basis of the grip that you were talking about earlier. The way that we can, uh, it's like, oh, I don't want to fall open. You know? yeah. And it's like, we sort of doubt the, our capacity to be here, like our capacity to feel everything that's, that's here to be felt. In a way, we're doubting the capacity of our hearts. And, and as we open, we discover the true capacity of our hearts. It's like, it's like, wow, all of this gets to be met. We can actually be here for the whole experience. Yeah, I imagine one could, one could encourage a person by saying, you know, I realize you've been through a lot and you've, you've experienced a lot of trauma and so on. But trust me, if you begin in this process, then um, your ability to sort of be comfortable with it and to, you know, get more and more grounded in openness will grow. It's just a matter of taking the first step. There's a verse in the Bhagavad Gita which says something like, even a little of this practice removes great fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, when we when people sit for the first time sometimes there's a, immediately like discomfort comes up and it's like, I'm doing it wrong, I can't yeah. do this, you know, yeah. it's like out of here, you know. <laughs> to notice how much we want to turn away from difficult things it's like in, in a way like why why are we not just innocently here all the time you know fully present open because it's like well there's stuff that we, that comes up that we don't want to feel and it's like we just we just find a way to exit so like no, starting to notice how we exit so it might be like leaving the meditation room but it could, it's also like much more subtle than that how do we like distract ourselves or numb ourselves or what do we do when something painful is being felt? Yeah. Like to, and often we'll notice like we're actually running. And for many of us, like our lives are, are like one big sort of like run away from what we're feeling. Yeah. You know, it's just like stay as busy as possible, stay in the mind, just keep recycling the same stories, you know, reassuring ourselves <laughs> that we know what's going on. It's like George Bush said after 9-11, go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> Did you yourself spend a lot of time in meditation practice, and do you still? Yeah, um, yeah, I was uh, very devoted to meditation for many years. Now it's a little different for me. I mean, the work I'm doing is sort of meditation. (laughs) 
so, so that's uh, one of the beautiful things about doing the work I'm doing is uh, I get to um, sort of be open space for people. Um, and my own practice is, uh, yeah, I still very much sort of like sit down and open to what's going on, explore what's here. Uh, I also do a lot of uh, movement, like uh, just letting the body move how it wants to move. Like letting the body move. It's not like authentic movement, but the closest word for it. So it's like, it's really just letting the body do what it wants to do. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of dropping any agenda about like what posture or position or stretches or anything and just letting the body unfold how it wants to unfold. Yeah. Uh, there's such a sort of, uh, wisdom in the body, like knowing how to move energies and meet things. Mm. So do you advocate among to, to people whom you meet with to uh, try to establish some sort of practice where they go into a, a room, shut the door and sit for 20 minutes twice a day or some such thing and, uh, you know, get them into that kind of routine if possible? I'm not a, a big advocate of, uh, like, pushing practice. Not pushing, uh, but, you know, do you encourage, do you, do, you have, do you say that, you know, this might be valuable if you could get into the habit of spending quiet time and just, you know, closing your eyes and feeling what, however you would, you know, describe it? I'm very hesitant to sit like, to, I mean, often I won't, I don't really talk about my practice, my personal practices because they change anyway. And it's, it's like, it feels like it's very specific to like, oh, this is what's alive for me now. This is what's helpful for me. This is what I'm sort of like where the, uh, the juice is, the nourishment is. So I'm like, I'm mining that particular area right now, but it's very personal. It seems to me like how people relate to practice and, uh, what the sort of, uh, yeah, like what's going on for them when they practice. So like people can sit and meditate and like they're, all they're doing is like uh, attacking themselves, you know, like I shouldn't be having this, I can't get where I'm going, you know. I mean, and they're calling it meditation, but of course like that's Well, you'd not... want to kind of talk them through that, you know. Yeah, but it's, it feels like really important that people are, are drawn to practice by their love of the truth. Yeah. In other words, they should be self-motivated. They shouldn't feel like obligated or pressured or anything like that. They should just feel inspired themselves. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's, I mean, this, this, you know, practice can really have a dark side to it, like where it's sort of like, oh, I should be practicing more, I should be practicing more, I'm not, I'm not doing it properly. If I was doing it better or I was doing it more, then I would get better. And, and yeah. you know, this, all this inadequacy, this stuff that shouldn't be here, all this would be cleared up if I was just doing the proper practice. So, so I'm very, um, it's like really awareness is, awareness is what liberates. Awareness does it all. For people to be alive in whatever, in, in however they're uh, showing up and uh, alive to what's going on in their lives. Yeah. They're really present for it. I was listening to an interview with a guy the other day, and he was saying, you know, a good way, uh, a, a good litmus test for any practice is whether you actually enjoy it. So if, if, yeah. if you don't enjoy it and you don't feel like doing it, you're probably not going to keep doing it, and you're probably going to create strain if you force yourself to keep doing it. So that, that might be a way of evaluating how effective a practice is for you. Yeah, and it's sort of like, is it um, in alignment with what's true? So we can like we can sort of trust our own movement in a way. What's nourishing us has a signature. It, it feels right. So often, you know, people can end up sort of 
doing spiritual practice because they believe it's the right thing to do, even though it's not actually nourishing them. A dog is sneezing here. Can you hear? <laughs> yeah, say that again. I was laughing at the dog. Say, say, repeat what you just said. That was good. Yeah, so it's like, it's like we can we can really trust ourselves to know what nourishes, like to to notice like what the experience in our practice is, and we don't need to be sort of captivated by like a belief system about like this is the true practice or this is the right practice or you should be practicing more. It's like to really just notice like what's What's yummy? What feels good? What's what's nourishing to us? Yeah, very good. Um, not in a facile way, but like uh, you know, it's when awareness touches even the painful stuff. There's like this. There's, there's such gratitude just for meeting it. It's like wow, I get to actually feel this. You know, it's like I, I get to actually present. It's like there's a sort of um, a rightness to it, even if it's like not pleasurable or. Mm -hmm. There's a way in which we can, uh, we like the truth sort of has a signature. Yeah. Energetically, it's just like yes, this is this is the right thing to be for to be here for. Do you find in your own experience or in working with people that maybe initially there's quite a load to deal with when you start letting awareness touch the painful stuff, to use your phrase, but that at a certain point you kind of seem to work through the bulk of it. And then it's kind of downhill from there in terms of downhill in a good sense in terms of just you're sort of working off of the, the remnants, but you've dealt with the lion's share of it. Um, because otherwise, if that weren't the case, then there might be the prospect of a lifetime of like dealing with heavy stuff, you know, which could be a little discouraging. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it varies tremendously from one person to the next. The way I might characterize it is like, it feels like there are layers, like, so there's sort of like gross layers, you know, like, oh, I'm sort of, I feel this out of control anger or grief or whatever it is. And like, and we, you know, we, we start to meet that and then like new layers show up. Mm. So like, it feels like there's more and more subtle layers of like, oh, I notice like there's this, there's a kind of holding back from reality, you know, there's sort of, we start to like feel sort of like subtle energetic ways in which we distance, ways in which we, uh, we're, we're not willing to be fully present to our experience. So, so like, so certainly some like forms of suffering drop away in my experience and there's more sort of subtle uh, sensitivity shows up, but it's, it doesn't feel like um, like oh now I'm free from pain or something. In a way, it's like we're we're actually like sensitizing ourselves, so we like feel we can feel everything like at a deeper level. Mm. So it's not that we're um, we're going to like sort of ascend out of this like realm of pain and pleasure or something like that, or, or like feeling deeply or feeling heartbroken. It's sort of like we just realize our capacity for a broken heart. It's like, oh, you know, when the heart's open. That's beautifully put. I love that. And the whole thing of, you know, yeah, cl clearing away the gross and then working your way toward subtler and subtler levels of it, uh, I think is very apt and, uh, and wise. And it's not like you're never. It's not like you're going to get to a point where you don't feel things anymore because you've worked through everything. In fact, you might feel things even more acutely. It's not like this. 
this is the program we must be on. It's sort of like coming, like this place of like there's nothing we need to do. And it's like we just let our hearts unfold. So it's like we're, we're called to this by sort of the heart. The heart wants to feel what's here, wants to be alive. We yeah. want to feel all the energy of life. So it's, it's not that like, oh my God, I've got to clear out all this junk and it's like it goes on forever and it's like just endless work. Yeah. It's like the movement of love. It's like the movement of our hearts. Yeah, nice. It's sort of the natural tendency of life in a way to evolve, if you want to use that word. Personally, I think it's the deepest desire of any human being. Yeah, yeah, it's like the deepest truth of our heart. So it's like, so it's really, I think it's really good to like trust our own hearts, yeah. to trust the natural movement, because it, we can easily, when we hear something like somebody's story or like, you know, my description of falling open or something, it's very easy for people to say, oh, I'm supposed to be doing that. Right. What's wrong with my heart that it's, and it's like there are so many seasons to the spiritual path. So there can be seasons where we're just like hanging out in bliss or yeah. there can be seasons where we're, where, uh, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different seasons, but it, it's like to listen to where, where our hearts are called, like moment to moment. It's not, we're not trying to force ourselves into some uh, spiritually evolved box or enlightenment box or awakened box. It's like to really trust our own unfolding. And it's like a different flavor. I mean, your, your show is a beautiful example of that. There are all these hundreds of people uh, involved in opening and they're all opening in different ways, in very different ways with, and very different flavors. Yeah, I thought of a metaphor for that the other day. I was, and that is that no two raindrops reach the ocean by the same path all the billions of raindrops that fall, they all, there, there might be some similarities, they, a lot of them go down this, this river or that stream, but, but really when you look at it, every single one of them is unique to some extent, often to a great extent, in terms of how they reach the ocean. Yeah, yeah, that's it's so beautiful, yeah. And to, to really like, and, and the sort of the, so for people listening to really like the, to know that the truth is within you, mm -hmm. it's like, it's your opening to, to the truth that wants to unfold through you. It's not, you don't have to follow somebody else's story or follow somebody else's guidelines. It's like to really listen. So even if you're putting yourself in the field of a teacher or something, it's like you're listening to your experience with that. It's like, because your heart is nourished by that experience, not because you need to become like them. Yeah, that's important. I like people to tell their stories when I interview them because a lot of times people feel like, hey, I can relate to that. I, I did that. I'm a bozo like that guy or whatever, you know. <laughs> but it's also important in the same breath to emphasize that it's, you know, it's never going to be the same for you as for anybody else. Each one is unique. And I think that gap kind of illustrates that in a way because you just see every week a different flavor and everyone is different and you know there might be some similarities but you know hopefully it drives home the point to people that their own path is as legitimate and as valid as any of these people I interview and uh, that we're just sort of hopefully demonstrating that ordinary people of every description can arrive at realization or, or deeper truth or whatever you want to call it yeah yeah it's like it's uh 
it's like awareness is here. It's like it's uh, it's like what we're made of, what the reality is made of. I mean, that's why the, I love the word falling open, the term falling open, because it's it's like all we have. To, it's like this abiding invitation of reality. Like, yeah. come here, be here. You know, you're welcome here. And it's like it's sort of like this whisper, and we're like so busy running around trying to avoid the, <laughs> what we don't want to feel. We, it's like we're uh, we turn away from that whisper. We don't listen. It's like wait. To, and we're just being called here. You know, yeah, that's a calling nice. us here. It's like diving, you know, you just get up on the board and you take a correct angle and let go and gravity does the rest. Yeah, yeah. I just want to throw something in before we move on. There's some nice questions have come in. I interviewed Richard Miller a few weeks ago, who's a psychologist who teaches yoga nidra. Mm. And he happened to mention something which I didn't know. He said that the Buddha was said to be kind of doing some sort of spiritual practice all of his life, even after his enlightenment, and to actually be processing things that came up, sort of, as you would put it, bringing awareness to various things that needed attention. And this this went on all of his life. I've made a new friend in the last week or so named Michael Rodriguez, who I'll be interviewing eventually, and he's written this whole thing about post-realization sadhana, which I kind of find that fascinating. So if people think that you know they're going to have some kind of realization and it's going to be the the final thing and they'll be done, and that there's you know no refinement or clarification or resolution of things yet to do, they might be in for a surprise. Yeah, it's almost like a, a lot of it's like the the movement away from life like the attempt to find some fixed position, some fixed experience. So we can often imagine like, oh, awakening or enlightenment or something, that, that's the end of my problem, you know, the problem of me, yeah. <laughs> the problem of life. And it's like, it's like actually we're being called to be fully alive, like to be here more, to be like in the flow of this unfolding. So it's not that we're, we're supposed to arrive at a fixed destination, a fixed point. It's like we're actually called to open to this, this space that's not fixed, that's constantly uh, flowing through us. Yeah, nice. All right, let me ask a few questions that have come in. Um, this is a little bit of a long one, but I think it's, it looks like it's pretty good. This is from uh, Margaret in San Francisco, and she asks, Dear Adam, please could you reflect on a major human challenge I'm facing, pertinent to both personal and massive global issues, in whatever way clarity moves through you? I'm deeply struggling with the fact that much of my daily human existence depends on infrastructures that are deeply destructive to the natural environment, as well as that contribute regularly to governmental decisions to wage war and murder innocent people, to secure lands with oil, for instance, to maintain our consumeristic economy, etc. Some of my inner response is clear and comes from love, a sense of clear urgency to take steps I can to adjust my life choices to more sustainable ones, as well as urgency to be as awake as possible so life can move through me in whatever healing, balancing ways she deems best. At the same time, I have major murky pain body response, guilt, shame, self-loathing, both in all the ways I do not feel capable of changing my life nor being an activist in the world, as well as shame at how unawake I am despite seeing through the mind illusion repeatedly. I still live in what feels like a constant haze of mind addiction and mind decisions much of the time. 
I have. <laughs> yeah, shame is feels like it's it's in a way it's like the sort of antithesis of uh, like the openness. It's it's like in many in most cases it feels like that's the sort of the block in the door. You know, it's like like this belief there's really something bad here. Like there's something wrong inside me. Uh, there's, there's stuff that's here that just shouldn't be here, and you know, again, I don't want to, it's not a simple, like, just believe something different. It's like, it's so in the body, like, to, to sort of reject this. You know, it's like, it's probably been mirrored to us when we were younger by, by uh, caregivers. And we, it's like a really visceral, like, this should not be here. You know, like, this is so obviously wrong. So it's like, to, to really soften, to, like, we can't be tender enough with these places that have been so harsh upon, so abandoned so to, to let ourselves feel that like the whole truth of our experience and to, to feel the pain that, that lives like the, the pain of the shame and the, and the pain that lives behind there as well yeah and um, I, I would also say to her that we live in a a world that in which many things are not ideal, uh, you know, types of with the ways we get energy and the ways we get food and, and all kinds of things like that. And, you know, we can do certain amount within our own lives to try to live in a more enlightened way, a more sustainable way. But it's always going to be less than the ideal at this stage of the game. And, and uh, you know, don't beat yourself up too badly over it. Just do what you can and do what you can to I just just this morning I heard some beautiful saying, which is I forget exactly how it's worded, but everyone knows the principle, and that is that if you want to change the world, change yourself. Who was it? I think it might have been Gandhi or somebody who said, you know, it's easier to wear shoes than it is to pave the earth in leather. <laughs> so it doesn't mean we shouldn't um, do what we can to change the world, but I think that the greatest leverage we have is self-transformation in whatever way we understand that and that you know by really transforming in a significant way we're we're making a tremendous contribution to a, a better world yeah i'd like to so the, this um the shame that the question was talking about it's like that that's like the violence you know it's like that that belief that like i shouldn't be the way that i am like there's something wrong with me that needs correcting needs forcing needs uh, to be to be rid of like that's manifest in the world it's like that's that violence that we need to get rid of the bad people you know we need to get rid of the bad things and it's like and we're bringing that that sort of energy of violence to everything so so it's like the softening the feeling the sense becoming sensitive to like what the truth of our experience is letting it all be as it is yeah it's like that's how this this sort of the cycle of violence comes to an end. It's like when we when we meet the truth of it. I was listening to a um, interview this morning. It was actually a panel discussion from the Science and Non-Duality Conference with uh, Peter Russell and Elizabeth Satoris and Drew Dellinger and uh, I forget who else. Another guy. One of the participants or panelists was saying that, um, or maybe it was an audience member asking a question, that there are certain things which psychologists say are just un, 
healable through any kind of psychological method, like pedophilia, for instance. They were saying if, if you're a pedophile, you just don't get over it through anything that psychology has to offer. Do you feel that through your approach, or some approach, <laughs> of a spiritual nature, someone with really incorrigible behavior of some sort can actually be freed from it, or you know, can can uh, you know, a real scoundrel doing terrible things can actually rise beyond the possibility of behaving that way anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any point in holding the the opposing viewpoint, the belief that like it's it has to, you know, like I'm always going to be this way. And in a way, that's like the sort of hopelessness about ourselves. Like, oh, I'm this is just how I am. I'm always going to like do these messed up things. It's like uh, I'm always gonna, I'm always going to turn away from my experience. I'm always going to run from this particular thing. And it's like when we actually open we start to realize that, wow, actually this stuff can be met. It's just feelings in the body, it's sensations, it's energies. It's like it can be met, and actually when we meet it with, with nonviolence, it like comes into harmony. So do you feel like a, a behavioral tendency, such as pedophilia, for instance, actually, if you get right down to its core, it can be located as some sensation in the body? that is at the root of such a tendency and that by somehow feeling and healing that sensation one would find that the behavioral tendency dissipates or disappears yeah i mean if we're sent as we become more sensitive to what's going on it just feels like our our actions just naturally come into alignment i mean when we when we feel like the harm we do to people when we start to like become aware of that, like to take in their experience, it's like it just breaks our hearts. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to use a harsh tone. I don't want to, you know, tell, vibe that this person should be different than they are. Mm. I mean, we can we can just feel how that, yeah, like it doesn't feel good. Have you ever considered going into a prison and and kind of working with some of the people there? No, I haven't really. No, no. It's, uh, I just sort of go where I'm called, where I'm right. invited, and yeah. yeah. Well, Folsom will be calling soon. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, here's another short question that came in, and I, I don't, I have a feeling how you're going to answer this, but let me just ask it. Sean from Illinois, might have been one of your own old buddies from Macomb, asks uh, if you could give someone just one suggestion or piece of spiritual guidance, what would it be? I have no idea. Yeah, it totally depends on who it is. I had a feeling uh, you'd say something like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I guess this... Um, yeah, I don't know that I want to land on one, actually. Yeah. No, I'm getting rid of you know how I, You know how I'd answer that one? I would say, seek and you shall find, you know? I mean, mm. if you have the motivation to do something, just sort of keep favoring that tendency, that motivation, and various opportunities and options will present themselves to you. Mm -hmm. Nature is very responsive. Um, you know, I was discussing this, I think it was last week, with Chris Celine. That there are so many examples of people who just, once they put out the petition to the universe, so to speak, put out the call of, hey, I'm, I'm tired of the same old, same old, and I really want to know what's true and what's real, 
you get tremendous response um, from from the universe, from nature, and uh, tr- all kinds of opportunities present themselves. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, yeah. I mean, like radical transformation is possible. I mean, like you know, I sometimes sort of joke about like years ago being past lives. I mean, it's just like I, yeah. I don't. It's like half me don't remember how I was then. It's like yeah. wow, what's going on? How was it to to live in that body and that worldview and it's almost like shedding a skin or something. It's like it's just a totally different universe. It's a totally different experience, and and in my experience, it's actually accelerated. It feels like there have been several of these, and it's all like, wow, what was it like eighteen months ago? <laughs> it's like it's like hard to remember because so much has shifted. Yeah. So it's uh, it's really so different than we think it is. This is just so different. Good. Here's a question from um, Connor in Jefferson, Colorado. Connor asks, oh, hello, Adam, your presence is very warm. I have a question for you. When falling into the depth and beauty of here, non-dimensional peace, often the mind rises in reverence and love for the gravity of this beauty. I tend to spin out from there, alternatively. The gravity of not knowing what I am or what anything is tends to ignite narration. If you could speak to this, I would be very grateful. Hmm. Narration. I think maybe he starts to put a story on it or something. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, so it's... Uh, hmm. So there's no story to land on. There's nothing to figure out. There's no, like, truth of this that we're going to capture in words. Like, so so there's, there's no importance to, like the symbolization of this in a way like we're not trying to land on a particular model of the universe or a description or philosophy or anything like that so like really just uh letting that come to rest i don't know is sort of like the the height of wisdom when it comes to being present to the truth and having said that There's absolutely nothing wrong with expressing the truth. It's sort of like poetry. Like we just see it as like art. We can see the we can see the impossibility of giving words to the experience, like that that are accurate, that are complete. And yet, uh, it can be beautiful to express, and it can be evocative, and it can be helpful. It's just it's like the the trick is like not believing the words. You know, like not believing that, like, oh, now I've given the comprehensive definition of enlightenment or life or, you know, <laughs> the universe. Out, yeah. yeah. You went through a phase where you were reading a lot of spiritual books and thinking about things and all. Do you find that you still enjoy reading spiritual books and stuff, or have you kind of lost all interest in that? Yeah, it's really dropped away. Yeah, yeah. When I first started having these, you know, had these sort of openings with psychedelics, I then became very interested in people who are writing about spirituality and psychedelic experiences, but sort of that it gradually went into meditation and spirituality, um, and the sort of uh, like looking for clues as to what the hell's going on here. You know, what is this about? Yeah. So you do some retreats with Jeannie Zandi, huh? You still do, or you have done? Yeah. Um, yeah, I went on a retreat with her in January. It was mm-hmm. the last one. Um, 
I'm not taking her upcoming program, but I've been really involved with her work uh, for like the last three years. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just been uh, incredibly powerful, transformative uh, teacher for me. Yeah, I've met Jeannie and we every every year or two we talk about, hey, we should do an interview one of these days. And then she always says something, yeah, well, I think I'm going to get my website more together first. So she's, <laughs> she's in no hurry. One of these days I'll interview Jeannie. She's nice. Yeah, yeah. So the reason I brought that up is that you mentioned in your bio that it's very heart-centered, her whole teaching. Heart-centered and full-bodied. A lot of times... Um, Non-duality is not presented in a very heart-centered way. You know, there isn't a lot of flavor of heart. It seems to be kind of heady or mm. sort of transcendental, you know, just sort of absolute, abstract. There's no person, that kind of thing. But you seem like a fairly heart-centered guy. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what that means for you, being heart-centered as well as being non-dual, and whether there's any sort of I mean, some people might see a contradiction in that. I don't, mm. but, uh, and probably mm. you don't. But let's let's talk about that for a bit. For, I mean, I sort of maybe talk about it in two, like the sort of the mind falling open and the heart falling open. And for me, there was there were sort of like two different experiences in a way. Mm. And in, in both cases, it's like it's a return to naturalness, our natural state. So in the in the first one with the mind falling open, it's like just giving up this this hope that we're going to know or this effort to try to know, like to try to capture uh, with the mind what the truth is, you know, like to figure out what the true practice or what the true teaching or what's really going on here. It's like just really getting like it's, this is so vast, so open, so subtle, totally uncapturable in words. Any words are always partial, always putting meaning on this that is prior to meaning. So just really like letting go of that and letting, letting ourselves be here like, wow, what is this? You know, just like this open, innocent presence. You can sort of feel the mind relax when that, when that happens. It's like, wow, I just get to be, I don't have to know anything. I don't have to show up with my theory of the universe, my theory of what I am. I can just be here as I am, you know, whatever that is. And then the, uh, the heart falling open is... Uh, Yeah, I sort of experience often as like a softening, like a, yeah, just like letting awareness uh, touch everything that's here, just like uh, like all the way into the body, all the way into like the sort the deepest parts of what's here. It's like the awareness has such a gentle touch. It's like there's no violence in it. It's just like even when it's like touching the most tender, sort of like agonizing, heartbreaking, it's just like wind blowing over a wound or something. It's like it's so uh, so sweet in a way. So it's like just that opening to the vulnerability, the sensitivity, letting ourselves be here, feeling everything that's here. Yeah, letting the, the defenses fall away. Just letting them letting them melt in their own time. As you know, you know, bhakti is a major aspect of spirit of the spiritual repertoire that you know many people are oriented around. And bhakti means devotion. Do you find that, or love, to put it more simply, mm. uh, do you do you find that you know 
in terms of the heart opening thing that you're, you're just describing, that that has resulted for you in um, much more profound experience of love or devotion or you know, yeah. reverence, things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It feels like it's just a natural consequence of intimacy, like intimacy of what is. It's just awesome. You know, like to to know the truth of our hearts, you know, like to even get a sort of a little taste of it. It's like, it's so beautiful. It's like, wow, you know, it's like so not what we, uh, what we've been taught. You know, we've been taught we're not right and we've got to get good. And, and it's like, and our hearts are so beautiful, so precious. Do you feel a sense of God? I mean, what is what is your mm. thought of God? Your orientation toward whatever God may be, however you may conceive or understand God to be. Mm. Yes, I'm. I'm really. Uh, I find that I'm very playful, sort of in the way that I describe reality and the way that I use metaphors. Again, like I'm not holding any uh, sort of conceptual map of what's going on like oh there's the heart and then there's the god speaks to the heart and then yeah. the heart and so there's nothing like that but like the way some people refer to the word god resonates deeply it's like this this sort of surrendered to to what's here like the 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 vastness of what's here the the lack of any uh means of controlling what's unfolding the, the way that everything is just being given to us, like reality is like giving us every moment, every experience, every everything that's here. Yeah. Well, like if you're out walking in a beautiful place, like walking in the redwoods or something in Northern California or on the beach or something, do you sometimes find yourself feeling a, a sense of devotion or adoration for the divine intelligence that seems to be behind this or orchestrating this this beautiful play mm -hmm. I find myself touched uh, deeply by yeah so much of uh, my experience yeah there are so many different aspects to it you know it's like you know sitting with people and just being touched by their experience like the the beauty of um, you know, their hearts and the, uh, even the suffering, it's like so beautiful. Mm. Yeah, and this, and this sort of sense of vastness, I mean, like how magical is this? You know, just the, the way that this is unfolding is, it is so mysterious and so deep and there are just so many endless layers to it, it's like unfathomable. Yeah, nice. Here's a question that came in from Chris in the UK. Hi, Adam. When are you coming home? No. Hi, Adam. If, <laughs> if you notice a grasping in meditation, would you advise just opening up to the grasping at the level of the body in a loving way? Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Really. It's like to meet whatever's here with love. I find the sort of invitation to meet with love is like so helpful when, when we're, when we're in the sort of. Uh, the place where it's, we're just totally convinced this shouldn't be here. You know, like I'm doing it wrong. It shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be having this experience. This is so not what an evolved person has. <laughs> and it's like just to have such compassion. It's like, oh, I, you know, this is the experience that's here. 
yeah, this is the experience that's here. We get to feel this. Mm. There was a song by George Harrison, which obviously he didn't coin the phrase, but it was, this too shall pass. I would say that if a person feels like they're sort of hitting a rough patch in meditation or in life or whatever, keep that phrase in mind. Yeah, and to be curious about what's here, not not to try to figure it out, like, uh, why is it here and what I need to do with it, but just like, what's the feel of it? What's the most intense point of it? What hurts the most about this? Like, really going to exactly the place where we're trying to squirm away, you know, where we're like, this shouldn't be here, this shouldn't be, it's like, what's the most excruciating part of this experience? really like allowing awareness to to explore that territory what is it i don't want to feel that's here it's like these sort of inquiry questions can be really helpful just uh pointing us towards the truth like the place that we always run from that we just like skip over and try to ignore and deny and repress let's just turn towards that like mm. what is that what is this place that i've been taught to escape from to not to not be present to and in doing that would you say, as a principle, general principle, that any sort of emotional or psychological or thing that we might be going through does have a physiological correlate and that you can, the best way of dealing with and resolving these kinds of things, let's say some strong feelings of anger or fear or whatever, is to allow yourself to locate, you know, to allow your awareness to locate the physiological correlate to that and dwell on that rather than sort of playing, playing mm. around in the fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's like to go to the, like the deepest place. Typically, when, when we notice an active mind, it's because there's stuff that like we don't want to feel, like we're trying to figure it out, we're trying to like get away or solve a problem or we, like make it sort of something mental mm -hmm. that we can, uh, we can grapple with in the mind. Because it's sort of like it's a numb, sort of fuzzy, so when we go into like, the, like what's, what's actually been felt in the body, what's the energy that's here? What's the, uh, the sensations that are here? It's like, it's just like a deeper level. We can sort of feel how it's like, wow, this is not what I imagined. You know, this is not what I thought it was. You know, the mind's like trying to solve some problem that doesn't even exist. It's like, oh, this, there's energies here that want to be felt. Yeah. So are you saying, I think you're saying that the mind might come up with rationales for some kind of fear or, or some sort of thing that's being felt, which actually have nothing to do with the root of that feeling. They're just, the mind's just fabricating something because it doesn't like to have a feeling without some kind of rationale. Yeah. <laughs> and that yeah. you can, if you can kind of settle beneath that and get down to the core feeling, which is, rooted in the physiology at some point, then you can, you can really root it out. Yeah, yeah, it's like we, when we feel fear in the body, typically the mind wants to, goes out and like looks for something to be fearful about. It could be so one we, thing or another, it could be any number of a dozen things, but it's not that. Right, well, it'll just project out, so it's like, oh, that's, I've got to like, that's the problem. If I can just solve that, then I won't have fear anymore. Right. And it's like, as soon as that's gone, there'll be something else, you know? So yeah, like meeting the, the actual experience of the energy in the body. And often fear is really just, it's sort of like we, it's something we don't want to feel. 
-hmm. You know, it's like an energy that's uncomfortable or painful or... It's like there's nothing really to it. Like we imagine there's something... Uh, it means there's some, there's some serious problem here. You know, there's really something wrong here. But it actually doesn't. It's just like an energy in the body. I think the same could be said of cravings, like I need cigarettes or I need food or I need this or that. And it's, there's a, a physiological sensation can be located and dealt with on that level. And if it is, the craving can just dissipate, you know, mm-hmm. rather, yeah. rather than sort of directing the attention outwards and trying to consume the thing that the craving seems to be wanting. Right. Right. Again, to really let awareness do its work, you know, so it's like we just sort of, we just point ourselves towards the stuff that, uh, that we've been turning away from and we just let awareness touch it, let awareness reveal the experience. You know, when we're in the mind, in the mind's version of what's happening, it's like it's so far removed from like what's actually going on. Mm. You know, we think, oh, I want a cigarette or I want chocolate or something because, you know, and then when we start feeling into the body, it's like all kinds of stuff's there. It's a whole different universe. So yeah. it's a different level of reality. Interesting. So it's like, is it, in a way, the body is sort of a portal to freedom. It, it sort of tells us, oh, who was it? Mary O'Malley that I interviewed a while back. And, and uh, I, I just got an email from someone about her the other day. But she has this phrase... Um, I forget how it goes exactly, but it's it's sort of like that which appears to be the obstacle or the problem is actually the opportunity to resolve something. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's like any time we notice this shouldn't be here, this shouldn't be this way, it's like that's the opportunity. Like, well, what what's being felt there? Let me feel this place that I've condemned, yeah. as I've been taught to condemn. You know, even when we say the body, it's like, what is the body? Because the mind thinks it knows what a body is. You know, it has an image of the body and it calls it, you know, this is the body. But it's like when we actually let awareness touch what's here, yeah, it's not at all what the mind imagines. Yeah, Again, there are so many layers. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you said that, you said, what is the body? I kind of flashed on the perspective of physics as to what the body is, which is essentially empty space, you know, with some virtual particles bubbling around. It's like, ultimately, it's not this flesh and blood thing. If we get right down to it, it it's sort of a, an energy field or a, an accretion of probabilities or something. And, and, <laughs> and as such, it's not etched in stone, it's malleable. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard the word, what is it, neuroplasticity, mm-hmm. where anything in the, not only the brain, but the nervous system is plastic, it's malleable, it's changeable, it's uh, healable. Yeah, and I mean, this is, this is uh, so my experience, I mean, that we can have a totally different experience of reality. And, like, and it's not even, it, when I say this, it's not like, you know, five years from now, you can have a totally different experience of reality. It's like just turning towards reality, like everything shifts. Yeah. It's like not at all what we imagined. It opens up. 
Nice. Here's another question. This is from Scott in Half Moon Bay, California. After having a major spiritual opening, why would I find myself being drawn back into old bad habits, such as drinking again for the first time in 15 years? That's a mm -hmm. practical question. Good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd like to ask follow-up questions with these. <laughs> You're welcome to. I mean, yeah, you can yeah. you can say something, and the person can send in another follow-up thing if you want. If we have, if we go along. I enough. mean, you know, if if I'm working with somebody, I would I would like really be curious about like what's going on. So I'm I'm gonna like sort of just guess, you know, like I mean, it right. feels very. So that, yeah, this is actually something I'd like to talk about maybe. Like when I sit with someone, it's not like I know what the truth is and you don't know what the truth is. It's like you have the sort of inside seat on experience, like the reality that's unfolding in you, through you. So I'm supporting awareness, exploring what's there, opening what's there. So that's what I would do in this case with someone who's, who comes in and says, that sort of question, like, why would this be happening? Mm -hmm. It's like, we'll explore what's going on. I mean, just to sort of conjecture, <laughs> like, I'd be very happy for uh, the person I was sitting with to say, no, that's not it. There's nothing like that. It does feel like there's sort of an adjustment to opening when we have like a big sort of like radical opening often like we want to contract tight again we're just not prepared to to have all that energy to be this wide open in an ongoing way so it's sort of it feels like this is what's the word like an acclimatization to openness yeah, yeah. so like we open and, and it becomes more possible a bit like you were talking about with the, the cup gets bigger right like the resource that we have to be open it's like we just, and there can be, it's very normal for there to be opening and closing, like a, a natural rhythm. And we just, we just get to sort of realize like how wide open we can be, you know, how vast we are, how much capacity there is here. Again, it just grows so organically. It's like the flower blooming that you're talking about. It's not something we have to force or. Yeah. Maybe I'd just throw in that, you know, you were saying earlier about strata or deep, deeper layers of impressions that we might work through as we go along. You know, there could be stuff that's sort of built into our makeup that um, is just peacefully slumbering. And, you know, it has kind of like, it's not being, it's not caused any problems, it's kind of like a, a sleeping elephant or something, it's just lying mm -hmm. there sleeping. Then we have a big opening. And that opening, I would say, in a way it wants to be sustained. We, we want to have a, a, we don't want these openings to just be sort of flashes in the pan. It would be nice to sort of live that way in an, an abiding way. But it may be that there's a lot of stuff lodged in our physiology and our subtle body, however you want to understand it, that is really not compatible with living in that open way. And now that we've had an opening, the time has come for stuff that was slumbering to kind of wake up and be cleared out. Mm. Uh, and so there might be an old habit or an old tendency or an old thing that we thought we had put behind us years ago that is sort of sprouting up again. 
I mean, maybe, tell me if I'm wrong, but as if you were working with Scott, you might sit with him and have him go into whatever deep sensation or feeling seems to be associated with this desire to drink again. You know, there, mu- there must be something there which mm-hmm. could be discovered and perhaps resolved without recourse to alcohol. Yeah, and to really be innocent about the exploration. So it's very easy when, when we notice a behavior like, oh, I shouldn't drink or I shouldn't watch TV or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's like to be very sort of harsh and we've got to like attack, the, we've got to find the solution and go in there and sort it out. To let awareness innocently reveal what's there. It's like um, to, to not know in advance that like, uh, you know, we should not be drinking or we should not be watching TV or whatever. It's like to really just like explore like what is here? What's that? What's the actual experience? It's like with, that, with no condemnation, no, uh, you know, we've got to kill this off or stop this, but just like really feeling in like what's, what's actually going on here? What is our experience? It's like the truth will, will liberate us anyway. And again, the path can be so, you know, there can be different seasons. You know, it may be the season for closing down right now, you know, mm-hmm. after a big opening. So there's no violence to it. There's no, like, we've got to force you open. We've got to, like, change what you're doing or something. It's like, it's really just letting awareness do its work. Yeah, that's nice. It's a very, very compassionate way of putting it. Guilt tripping yourself over it is, is obviously not going to help. I mean, if, if a person had a serious problem, maybe they need to go to AA or something as a support group for, you know, what they're going through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, if, if you're sort of like burning down your house or something, then it's, let's put down the torch and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you're just watching a lot more TV than you think is good for you, you know, we can just be really gentle about that and explore what's going on. Yeah, yeah. just don't do it with a lot of beer. Um, here's a question from Marin in Portland, Oregon she asks, I see the brain as an organ and and the mind as something else entirely, I also understand PTSD as an event that injures an organ of the body, the brain in addition to having effect on the mind, how does awareness heal the brain if it does Hmm. I tend to like to speak just from my own direct experience, Mm -hmm. so I mean, I just noticed that there's, you know, I've I've been hurt. There's reasons why, you know, that my body contorted and closed down and numbed out and uh, distanced from the heart. I mean, when I was involved in that philosophy, I had no idea what love was or what my heart was. I mean, I was like, oh, I'll give you a theory of what love is or something. (laughs) It was total BS. I mean, nothing, nothing connected to the direct experience of love. So it's, uh, you know, the stuff that was there, you know, like that had been put there uh, for a reason, you know, because of whatever experiences I had when I was younger. And, and again, I, I didn't have like deeply traumatic experiences, but I had, you know, a normal human's upbringing uh, with imperfect parents and imperfect environment and so on. And this stuff does heal. It can fall away. I mean, it's... it's uh, I feel so blessed, so grateful for the gift of opening that's yeah. happened. 
and uh, just to Marin's question, the, you know, there is definitely a correlation between mind and body. I mean, that's pretty well established in scientific circles, and between behavior and brain also. I mean, they've done MRIs, you know, and, uh, on people who have certain types of criminal behavior chronically, and they find that they're actually sort of functional holes in their brain in terms of in terms of brain activity, certain th- things are, are more shut down than in the average person. And there have been studies on you know, various kinds of meditation showing that those functional holes, so to speak, can be healed and can be re-enlivened and you know, brought back to sort of normalcy and consequently that, that behavior changes. So you know, it's an interesting area and there, there are researchers who are working on this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, everything's interconnected. There's nothing separate in the universe. Mm, yeah. uh, everything's affecting everything all the time. Yeah. Um, here's a question, and Dan, who sends me the question, says, location not given, but it's a lovely question. So here's a lovely question. Hello, Adam. You mentioned that you practice something like authentic movement. What advice would you give for someone who would like to start opening up to their bodies, their own body's intelligence? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really like the invitation to let awareness into the body. So I'll, I guess I'll I'll just describe like what I do, um, which was taught to me by Jeannie Sandy. Oh, okay. Which is uh, I'll just uh, close my eyes and uh, let my body. Uh, move however it wants to move, and I'll keep my eyes closed for the entire period. Will you be like and standing up in the middle of the room or something, or sitting? Could or? be, could be lying down, could be sitting. The body will just move however it wants to move, so it's it's different every time. Yeah, and just and just letting myself like just be completely immersed in the experience of the body, the feel of the body, and just letting it letting it move as it wants to, letting it be still when it wants to. So if we were to watch a videotape of you doing that, what would we see? <laughs> <laughs> totally depends. You'd be like totally dancing de- around the room or just, <laughs> you know, gesticulating in different ways. <laughs> yeah, there's, it, can be, it can be entirely, yeah, there's so many different ways. Like so, uh, I could be lying on my back, like yawning, like not moving hardly at all. Mm-hmm. I could be uh, doing all kinds of poses that look a bit like prayer or yoga or something or Tai Chi. But there's no, it's not coming from the mind. The movement is not like, oh, I should stretch out my legs or, oh, I should do that. It's just like really being in the body and letting the body like lead. So just letting the body do whatever it wants to do, letting myself be surprised by what it does. Mm. I mean, it just does crazy things. I mean, it's like the weirdest sort of stretches and contortions. And you're just like, well, you know. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I've heard stories of people having like Kundalini awakenings and then without really knowing much about yoga or anything, spontaneously going into various yoga postures. And some, some may actually speculate that that's how the yoga postures got developed. Through kind of, it, wasn't, it wasn't like, well, let's see what my body can do, but it's more like the body was, some yogi's body was spontaneously going into these positions and took note of it, you know? Yeah, it feels like that's sort of what all the practices around the body, like Tai Chi and Qigong and yoga and so on, they're sort of like pointing us uh, to that, the aliveness of the body, like the way the body, uh, the body's intelligence, the body's wisdom. Yeah. So let's see here. I read a bunch of your essays that you recommend. Is there anything? Uh, um, 
Here's one that we didn't talk about, I don't think. Only the dropping away of the fear of loneliness makes us truly available for intimacy. Now we are free to open to others because we don't need anything from them. It's kind of an mm. interesting point. Mm. What would you say to that? Anything? Yeah. Um, just like I think early on in the essay, it was just, just like to be really uh, gentle about the feelings we have about being rejected or feeling lonely or unloved or unwanted or unworthy it's like this is sort of like in I mean, we could call this sort of the core wound in a way like many of us have a place like this and it's like to just you know the sentence you read just sounds a little sort of like yeah we gotta get rid of that <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh yeah to just be so gentle to really let ourselves feel that place and uh and like it's not it's not wrong that we have this uh, this feeling like this was put put here you know this is the way we coped with our early experiences and uh, when we act from like trying to get rid of that by like grabbing a hold of a partner or like you know trying to like have as many friends as we can have or something it's like we're like just to see how that that, that wound is not we have to let awareness touch that. We have to turn towards that experience. There's nothing out there that's going to uh, take care of that, that's going to fulfill it, satisfy it, heal it. Yeah, interesting point. I guess another way of putting it is that if we're kind of empty within ourselves, nothing outside of us and no one outside of us is going to be able to fill that emptiness, you know. And, and any relationship we get into, if, if we're empty and the other person is empty, it's like neither person is in a position to give. Both are, are kind of in taking mode and, no, and therefore nobody give, gets because nobody gives. <laughs> right, uh, right. But if yeah. we're full within ourselves, my cup runneth over kind of thing. Uh, and if the other person is, then obviously that could be a very, very different experience. Yeah, and you know, I'm always really like attuned to the way that we can condemn ourselves, you know. So it's like, so I, I really hate for someone listening to this to think that that what we're saying is like we have to be full of love and light and cleaned out entirely before we engage in a relationship, right. or that we're only doing harm to other people by the way that we're loving them, or something like that. So it's like, you know, most of us have this place, some form of this, some some way that we're thrown into this by particular events. You know, if a partner leaves us or something, it often like is a direct line to this pain. So it's like really being so gentle, so compassionate with this place, and and giving it the loving awareness that that it wants, that it's like asking for. That's nice. I think if we were to summarize this whole interview, just to summarize you. In a couple of words, it would be gentleness and compassion. I mean, your your, your whole persona really exudes those qualities, mm. <laughs> which mm. is nice. And you know, the, I mean, those are beautiful qualities to have, and it also kind of summarizes your teaching. You know, that you just have this real gentle, compassionate, non-manipulative approach. So refreshing. Yeah, and I just say that the experience here is like that this is just, it's like what the universe wants to do through me. It's not I'm trying to be loving or something. It's like 
this is how awareness appears to me, you know, like it's sort of, this is the way that it's so amazingly gentle. It's like, I, you know, we often, often gentle, even as a child, like, were you like really kind to animals and, you know, just, <laughs> you didn't bully your friends at school or anything like that. You've just always been a gentle mm. guy or, or did you really transform into a more gentle person? Yeah. When I was a child, I think I was fairly gentle, but I mean, I was, uh, um, I had sort of a, when I was a teenager and the years after that, I mean, there was kind of a, uh, a harshness in my, my tone and like, especially with the sort of political debate and so on. I was very like, uh, like, I don't understand why you're crying. I'm just like being rational, you know, so like, <laughs> very identified with the text and not really like attending to what's actually being felt or what's the sort of energy that's vibing. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really kind of shut down to that aspect of reality. So it's, um, it's something that's I've sort of become resensitized to. Yeah. Yeah. And just, just as the way that. For me, there's, there was this sort of sense in that time period of like that, that it wasn't okay to be the way that I am. Like that there was like, it was a struggle to show up and not be, and not be condemned. Like it's sort of like to be okay where I am and like to, to realize like how benign awareness is. It's like, it's already sort of blessed our existence as messy as we are, as like with all the wounds that we have, with all the, the, uh, the clumsiness and clunkiness of being a human being, we get to be here as we are. And there's a sort of welcome in awareness. It's like a, when awareness touches, it opens and soothes what's here. It's like, wow, we get to be here. Yeah, that's nice. It's very soothing just talking to you. I'm, all, I'm, I'm not always as mellow as this during interviews. <laughs> I'm just kind of like sitting here like a blob. <laughs> Here's a question that came in from someone named Eli. Could you please say something about the falling away of emotions, if you have any experience with that? Hmm. For me, it's, it's like what we call emotions. Again, it's sort of like there's gross emotions. So like this sort of like, there might be anger or like uh, sadness or fear or something. And it's and it like, as we open, like the more subtle layers reveal themselves. So it's, it's like a, the, there's a mutation that, that happens like, a, no, it's not a word, word but, uh, we find like the sort of the layers of truth that are deeper than the sort of manifesting emotions, you know, what the mind would call and think it thinks it knows. So it's like we are, we get in touch with the, uh, the openness of what's here, the holding for everything that's here, everything that we are. So there's, there's not an identification with emotions might be another way to put it. So when things show up that are uncomfortable, we, we often like immediately like, I don't want to feel this. This shouldn't be here. Oh, it's bad that this is here. I'm unevolved. I'm not what I'm supposed to be. And then as we open to it, when we allow it to be here as it is, when it, it sort of opens by itself, it's like this, this shift into 
you know, like open space where we're still really present, like really sensitive to what's being felt, all the different things that are here. There's nothing, it's almost like it's impersonal, like there's no, this is good or bad because it's here. Like there's no one to take the credit or take the blame for any of it. It's just like, this is what's in the field. This is what's being experienced. This is what's being felt. Mm. Yeah, not judging. Yeah, yeah. It's like so intimate with what's here. Yeah, it's kind of one theme that I think that underlies everything you're saying um, is that there's a there's just a deeper dimension to life. If you like, call it a vertical mm-hmm. dimension. Although that's just a, a you know word, but um, you know what what appears on the surface is I think you said something like this in the very beginning what you, what appears on the surface of life is just the tiniest fraction of what's really going on yeah and uh, and your whole approach seems to be to settle more and more and more and more deeply into the the heart of things mm. yeah beautiful way to put it yeah yeah to really give ourselves to uh, to life like just to sort of let let the universe have us <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, I think I don't know if any more questions have come in, but I think we've covered quite a bit of ground. Mm. Is there anything that comes to mind that you want to just throw out there before we wrap it up? Yeah, I think maybe just to speak to shame just a little bit more. Like everything we feel is like innocent. It's like so innocent. And we, when we identify, we like from shame, it's like we're often, oh, this means I'm bad. Like this feeling that's here means I'm bad. But like how could a feeling that we're experiencing, like that's just coming into the field, how could that make us bad? It's like we're so innocent. Everything we experience is so innocent. So it's like really that, yeah, it's like so impersonal in a way. It's like this is what the universe has given us to feel. Yeah. By and innocent, you, do you sort of mean like everybody's doing the best they can and even if we do something that... Like once in a while I'll, have, I'll remember something I did 30, 40 years ago and I'll just sort of cringe like, oh mm-hmm. God, what a, what a thing to have done. But, you know, it's like that's... You act according to your level of consciousness, your, your level of maturity or whatever and... The fact that I cringe now, rather than just sort of saying, "Oh, that was cool," probably means some progress has been made. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have the experience of remorse. Yeah, yeah. You know, to like deeply feel like, "Oh, yeah, well, how could I have been you know, such a jerk?" Yeah, like, and just um, yeah, without condemning ourselves, because it's like, cause it's, I mean, we can see again, it's like innocent. It's like, yeah, like you say, how could I have done differently? I didn't know. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't mean we we don't uh yeah, we don't have the experience of remorse, like we don't feel like heartbroken for like what we've done. But we can see the innocence of that. And it's like actually a return to our heart is like that feeling of remorse. Mm. It's like we return to like the beauty of our heart. Our heart so wants to like own everything we've done that's that uh betrays it. Yeah. It's like returning to the truth. We have a follow-up question from Scott in Half Moon Bay, who was the fellow that you know was 
tempted to drink again. Oh, great. Um, he says, thank you. Inquiring into the desire to drink brings me to lots of emotion moving in my heart. It feels good to be open there, and it's intense. Maybe I can allow this and love myself. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Well, well Half Moon Bay is not terribly far from where you are. Maybe you and Scott can get together and have a session yeah. or two. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Adam. This has been, for me, a very relaxing and peaceful kind of interview. That you, you know, you just have an air about you that's mellow and, and soothing, and I, mm. I, I really appreciate it. Not that I don't like the more intense <laughs> conversations I sometimes have, but this has been really enjoyable for me, and hopefully for the hundred and thirty-one people or so who are watching the live stream and sending wow. questions, and many people obviously watch the. Uh, watch the archive version over the coming weeks, months, years. Mm. Mm. And uh, so I'll be linking to your website as always, um, adamchaxfield.com, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <clears throat> through that, they can, people can get in touch with you, get on your email list, I suppose, uh, you know, see what you're up to in terms of retreats, this and that, and uh, the usual. So I'd like to just sort of thank you again. And... Um, thank those who've been listening or watching and as you know this is an ongoing series so if you'd like to get on my email list there's a place on thatgap.com to do that you'll be getting about one email a week every time a new interview is posted this also exists as an audio podcast so there's a page for subscribing to that there's the donation button as I mentioned kind of necessary and much appreciated and uh, bunch of other things if you just explore the menus you'll you'll find some interesting little tidbits so uh, thanks for listening or watching next week I'll be interviewing someone named Annette Karlstrom over in Sweden and uh, she's uh, one of these people who does Diksha from that teacher in India Bhagavan mm -hmm. and Ama I believe who won this university so I've interviewed mm -hmm. one or two people like that so that will be Annette's angle Mm. So thanks a lot, Adam. Yeah, thank you, Rick. Yeah, yeah really, really lovely sharing with you. Mm. Great, yeah, I really appreciate it. So talk to you later. Thank you.